around Get rid of that frown that's been dragging you down And get up in the air Just pretend that you can fly You'll never know if you can Till you try Hi, and welcome to Cannabis Helps Dementia. I'm Chella. I'm Dave. And right up front, we'd like to say we're not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing you hear in this podcast should be considered medical advice. Right. We're not experts. But throughout this podcast series, you'll hear from doctors, nurses, research scientists, administrators, other caregivers, and people living with dementia about how cannabis helps. Like it did for our family. That's right. After my mom was diagnosed with dementia, we were thrust into family caregiving and became fierce advocates for people living with dementia. Including their access to cannabis medicine. In this episode, we're talking with registered nurse Kiebra Smith-Bolden, who created Canna Health, the first and only Connecticut cannabis business owned by an African-American. Nurse Kiebra began her career 22 years ago as a CNA specializing in home care. She's now an exceedingly skillful RN who has always had a passion for her community and held the highest standard of care for her patients. Nurse Kiebra leveraged her medical knowledge and decades of professional experience to create Canna Health. Its innovative, community-based business model offers disadvantaged communities disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs, education about how cannabis is medicinal, as well as safe and legal access through medical marijuana program evaluations. Referred to as the marijuana guru in Connecticut, Kieber has taken the state's cannabis industry by force. She's a member of numerous industry organizations, including the Connecticut Coalition to Regulate Marijuana, Connecticut Normal, Women Grow, the Minority Cannabis Business Association, whose mission it is to create equal access and economic empowerment for cannabis businesses, their patients, and the communities most affected by the war on drugs. And in 2019, Kieber was named Connecticut Activist of the Year. Kieber Smith-Bolden is an expert. Her work as a hospice and psychiatric home care nurse specializing in patients with mental health issues is how we learned about her. And she took care of her grandma after she had an aneurysm. Kibra Smith-Bolden, thank you so much for joining us for Cannabis Helps Dementia. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. <laughs> of course, of course, yes, thank you. Um, it's such a dynamic time in the world, so we really are glad that we could connect. Uh, when you were a young nursing student, you came to recognize cannabis as medicine because of your grandma's experience. Could you tell us how that unfolded? Yes, so I was already a nurse, but I was in the process, um, I think, at the time of going. So I've gone through every step possible in, <laughs> in healthcare and nursing in particular. I was a certified nursing assistant, a licensed practical nurse, and then became a registered nurse. And I'm now working um, on my degree as a family nurse practitioner. But at the time, I think I might have just gotten my RN. And um, I, my grandmother had an aneurysm. And it devastated her mind and her body. And now this wasn't a, a, the average 88-year-old. Like, my grandmother was a fly lady with a boyfriend who drove a car, you know, was still very active in the community, as a matter of fact. When she had her when she when she had her aneurysm, she was at um, doing a, a a little speech that she did when people passed away for a group that she was in. So you know she was in the work of community, and it devastated her mind and body. She ended up being unable to come home to live alone, so she came to live with me. We had to care for her, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm a nurse, I could do this, and you know mm -hmm. my family would be involved. But it was so overwhelmingly hard. To care for someone especially 
because this was a very independent woman and she had become wheelchair bound, wasn't eating, wasn't engaging with the family, unable to care for herself in any way. And it just, it just was, you know, emotionally difficult and as well as physically difficult to manage her care. And so, but, but I'm a home care nurse, so I got home care services in. And one of them was physical therapy, which I felt was very important because one thing she would fall a lot. Um, and so um, we wanted her to engage in physical therapy and she just wouldn't. And it seems so bizarre to me that this woman who had all this independence would not want to get better, would not want to participate. And so I, I'm a praying girl. <laughs> and so, you know, I prayed and I asked God, like, help me help my grandmother because therapy was going to discharge her. Because, you know, if you fail to show any improvements in Medicare, they discharge you. And so um, like that in my prayer, it came to me that my grandmother had told me 10 years before, maybe, that she had to smoke a joint and take a bath to get her body moving because she had severe arthritis throughout and she had a lot of allergies so she couldn't take a lot of traditional pain meds and so i was like okay that's it we'll get grandma high i didn't know you know what exactly that consisted of or what um what what how we were going to do it but everything kind of came together she had a caregiver and they did their thing in the morning i really didn't know <laughs> you know how things were happening was and it inhaled I, it was inhaled okay and, and so now with my knowledge that I have, I would discourage anyone with an aneurysm who is to, to um, use any type of substance that they have to inhale or smoke because the coughing could displace whatever has been put in place to stop uh. the aneurysm. And so I, but at the time I didn't know any better and luckily my grandmother was okay. But um, within a month, my grandmother began walking with the walker was engaging with the family, was laughing, was eating, was able to, to, like her friends would come. It was just such a quick turnaround, like four weeks. And I was like, you know, after being a nurse for, I think at this point, over a decade, I really had never seen this type of improvement. I had been giving pills to people every day and maybe they stayed stable, but many people experienced exacerbations of both their chronic illness and their mental illness, even being on these meds every single day. And that so was our experience I, with Chella's mom. I, yes. And, and, you know, and it's so many people's experience, you know, they never seem to get better. They're just taking more pills and adding more things. And so because of how cannabis totally did a turnaround in her, I wanted to study this and I wanted to be able to offer it to my patients as an option and offer it to my community as an option. So I found a school in Massachusetts, the Northeast Institute of Cannabis, okay. <laughs> and I took their course. It was a 12 12 class course of study to become competent in cannabis. Um, and yes, the science of cannabis and learning about the endocannabinoid systems and how cannabinoids and terpenes uh, work together to uh, heal the body. But I also um, got really engaged when we, when we started talking about the history of cannabis prohibition mm -hmm. and the communities that were most affected mm -hmm. by prohibition and how that led to the destruction of so many communities. And so I wanted to not only educate my community on, from a medical standpoint and, and provide this as an alternative to traditional pharmaceuticals, but I also wanted to 
engage people of color, poor people, people from inner city communities in this now billion dollar industry mm -hmm. um, so that they could potentially be able to recover from the damage that the war on drugs did to those communities. You know, even if people don't want to actually be in the cannabis industry or do something uh, touching the plan or whatever, like you can also benefit because money coming in should go to those communities that were over policed. That's you know, right. and so so that was that was I was immediately like in love with this plant, with what it meant, what it could do, but also how it could 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 change my community, how it could open my community's eyes to mm -hmm. the wrongs that have been done and the fact that they suffer from urban trauma. And this is from, you know, birth to death, a lot of people, you know, mm -hmm. and they never get it acknowledged. And so I was able to do that at the at the same time as um, bringing, bringing cannabis as medicine to the inner city in a different way. Because, you know, right. in the inner city, they have weed, <laughs> you know, everybody, people smoke, but it's not, and, and I do believe that almost everyone consumes cannabis medicinally. Right. Us, that's what we, believe uh, yeah. we have some of the, the hardest people to convince of that is our recreational users. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the thing about it is when you really show people how cannabis works in the body and what it is like your stress, you're feeling anxiety, you smoke a blunt, that is medicating yourself, right. you know, uh -huh. and kind of showing people that. And, and, and so that has been really, really rewarding to get people to think about um, consuming cannabis in a different way, to be able to use cannabis as social justice, to create equal opportunities for people in our community from eight to 80 has just been amazing. And I'm thankful to be on this path. How is that dynamic? Um, we heard that you, you know, that is a center of your practice is helping um, people that have been victims of or, you know, uh, affected by the war on drugs through PTSD, which is one, of course, one of the approved uh, conditions on the list of tyranny in Connecticut. Um, yeah. And uh, and so I, I that's very I find that very interesting. I'd like to expand on that as well as how do you bridge that stigma? How do you break that stigma? And is it a stigma in the, say, older African-American community, which is sort of the focus of our of our podcast um, in with, with issues of dementia? Because we also notice that dementia and Alzheimer's are not on that list in Connecticut. Exactly. Uh, so maybe you could talk about a couple of your patients or how do you deal with that? You know, getting around what's on the list, how to uh, get cannabis medicine to people who need it with who have dementia and how is it? How do you use it in that okay. regard? I might, you might have to remind me of parts of those. Sure, sure. <laughs> the three questions rolled into one. <laughs> yes. So uh, the first part was PTSD and urban trauma. Yes. So um, at Canna Health, where we help people get their medical cannabis cards in the state of Connecticut by, I provide APRNs who actually certify people. So we give make cards. Um, but one of the, as you said, one of the qualifying conditions is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And we administer an assessment for post-traumatic stress disorder called the PCL-5. It's a nationally recognized assessment tool that many practitioners, specifically um, the Veterans Association uses to determine hmm. um, uh, PTSD and trauma if you're a trauma victim. But what we, are, what we are finding in inner city urban communities, 
that there's not just one trauma. So when we do this assessment, it's made up of three different parts. The first part is you check off if you've experienced something, witnessed something, it happened because of your job or whatever. And it goes through a list of different experiences from rape to murder to homicide to suicide to domestic violence to car accidents to war to what you know many different um natural disasters and what we're finding in urban communities is that they're not just checking off one or two but they're literally checking off almost every box as an experience that they've had throughout their lives so many people come to canna help and probably a lot of other places and like they're like oh what do i have to say to get a card and usually if you're black or brown or from an inner city community all i say all you got to do is say the truth mm -hmm. because they don't realize it until they start enumerating it so i'm able to now take these people who have been learned this is learned behavior they've learned to deal and cope with this trauma as if it's every day and that's the way it's supposed to be so now i'm pointing out no you are a trauma victim and you have these symptoms that you're attempting to manage with cannabis because of the traumas you've experienced now we can continue to manage these symptoms and I'm all for you managing them with cannabis. But what's really important that I that I make sure that I do is refer these people now to counseling and therapy because they'll always have to be combating these symptoms until they begin the healing process from these traumas. So I remember the next question. So <laughs> the difficulty still lies within many people in our communities, especially our older um, members of our community because Number one, the propaganda that went out to against this plant was for real, for real. Like they really not stop, just put stuff out there, no truth to it. Criminal. Science, that, yeah. Si yes, science um, disproved many of the things that they were saying. They ignored science. Sounds a little bit like our current government. Yeah. Um, and and so these people believed, you know. Why would the president say it if it's not true? Why would, you know, Congress do this? It, it, and so they believe these lies and they've been perpetuated in our communities for years and years and years. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but that's something that we have to combat. The other end of that is that, you know, grandmas and my moms from the, from the inner city community, their grandsons and sons went to prison behind this. So the last thing they want to do is touch this plant, have, you know, problems, get kicked out of housing, all these things. So, you know, if it's not one thing, you know, the stigma is the other, the reality <laughs> that, you know, consuming this plant is, could, can make you a criminal and, and, and ruin your life mm -hmm. and ruin the lives of the people you love. So we have to acknowledge that truth because it's the truth. But we also have to show people that because we have a medical program, there's a way to legally do this. You carry your card, you know, you keep and and, you know, that generally with knowledge and education and also letting these little old ladies know you don't got to smoke a joint. You don't have to roll a blunt. You know, you could actually have arthritic knees 
and just rub some cannabis CBD infused salve mm -hmm. on that knee and you'll be just you you'll get the relief that you need you know mm -hmm. that's a possibility so a lot of times that's just what I do. You know, I just rub stuff. I'm rubbing little ladies' knees all the time. I'm like, just see how that feels. <laughs> and then they come Pass back. Pass the cream around. Where does yeah, it hurt? Exactly. Put it on there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then that is the greatest um, gift that we have is word of mouth with this plant. You know, so if I give somebody the greatest <laughs> pain relief in their left knee with the salve that I rubbed on them and they take a little and give it to their friend and their friend, you know, mm -hmm. eventually we're getting the word out um, that way. And then of course, just, just really just educating, just educating. You know, I had a 94 year old woman come to me who um, needed bilateral or had bilateral knee replacement surgery. Mm -hmm. They had, they had uh, prescribed her Oxycontin or, or oxycodone for pain and she was terrified to even try it because she was like oh all i hear about is the opioid crisis and i don't want to be addicted i don't want to be you know and so instead her option in her mind was that she had to be in pain mm -hmm. until her daughter told her to consider an alternative and so she called us we were able to get her her card and she said i'll never ever smoke it but i will use tincture i will you know use use salves and and lotions and creams and and so you know that that's where we're making a difference because mm -hmm. you know they're not wrong to be afraid no not at all it, to it this is day. very addictive especially if you are in a lot of pain and need that medication after two weeks you're addicted yep you know, and, they're, and they're not wrong about the war on drugs affecting their their grandkids still too it's exactly. you know, yeah you know and so so in our communities and communities of color and, and and poor and i always say poor communities too because there are people in the struggle who get treated just like we do who are not mm -hmm. black and brown i That's definitely right. understand that because economic uh disenfranchisement is 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 the same as all the social and class ails that you know things that ail our community but you know there was some direct targeting going on from nixon absolutely. on oh absolutely. <laughs> and before yeah. but definitely yeah. absolutely yeah i mean the the statistics don't lie right but you know when we really like like part of what we do with getting people their cards in at canna health is we save people who are on probation and parole you know, now they have a card that can't be right. violated. Right. So, you know, with education, with really helping people understand the how to work the system that is basically trying to work against you, mm -hmm. um, but getting what you need. And this is plant based natural medicine. <laughs> so, you Still know, hasn't killed anybody. No, no. And pointing out the hypocrisy of the United States, you know, they it's schedule one drug yet they have um, a, a patent <laughs> on it. Like, so like we're, we're I, I point that out. I always say, I tell people when I go talk at churches and community events, look up US patent number 6630507. And they're like, oh, okay. Yes, because it's right there. It's plain as, as the day. Mm -hmm. Neuroprotectant. Hmm. Yeah, V1 is a neuroprotectant. Um, Absolutely. And um, yeah, so uh, tell us about maybe one or two of your patients living with dementia. How has cannabis therapeutics uh, improved their quality of life? And what are they so, using? So honestly, I have um, 
not officially <laughs> medicated anyone with dementia mm-hmm. um, because I haven't I've had I haven't had the the ability to certify it, but one or two dementia patients and the issue mm-hmm. is that in the state of Connecticut if someone is receiving Medicare or in a nursing home or in a where where state funds are coming in it's illegal for them to consume, for them to store any type of cannabis-based products. So the people who need it the most, you know, who can't make this choice live elsewhere or whatever, aren't getting access to it. But science is showing that cannabis and specifically THC um, is closing or, or reducing the size of plaque in the brains of people with Alzheimer's and dementia. And, and so it is an effective drug, obvi- medicine, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting getting those laws changed, and that's something that um, I'm working on, on, a, on, a, on a, to, to the extent that I can, mm-hmm. um, with educating nursing homes. I'm a nurse. I work in nursing homes. So, you know, make having this conversation, which I would have been deathly afraid of four years ago, but now I can boldly say, because not, not only do I um, believe what I'm saying, but I have the science to back me up, you know, I, I and, and I know that I'm saying I'm on the side of good. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we are, but we are seeing, um, I have had a few patients who are using CBD, Mm-hmm. And it has been really improved, um, reduced their anxiety, mm-hmm. um, help with the withdrawal and some of the and the depression that comes with Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've seen some real reductions there. So you have a, uh, a function, well, CBD, of course, technically legal everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're certainly finding on in our interviews that CBD is definitely beneficial and an entry level for many people. Uh, especially in the states where you don't have uh, specific conditions on the list, like in Connecticut, where Alzheimer's and dementia, you have other neuro- neurological conditions on the list. You have Parkinson's, you have MS, you have uh, other, you know, in chronic pain, I believe was just recently added. Yeah. Um, so obviously that list can be expanded. We call them the lists of tyranny throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and we were speaking to Melanie Bone uh, last week about how in Florida, they have to find creative ways and actually write letters, you know, because they have pain on the list, but it has to be from a condition that's on cancer. their list, like cancer oh, or okay. something. Or like, for instance, I've noticed in Connecticut, you have terminal disease that requires end of life care. Well, that Alzheimer's is definitely a terminal disease, but does that mean it's just in hospice? Well, that would, 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 would affect. In California, we have a state program where a private residential care facility, they can create a, you know, a program that uses full, full assisted THC. living, assisted livings, right? Not, not nursing, nursing homes. homes, not nursing yeah. homes. Right. Anybody who gets Medicare money mm-hmm. cannot go anywhere near it and won't and won't. Yeah. We'll throw you out over it. Even in even in Florida, it's like their their memory care only CBD. That's it. They can't use the yep. other part. I'm yeah. finding the same thing. I, at, at assisted living facilities, though, there is that flexibility, like you said, because of the fact that most of the people are privately paying. They're not, you know, dependent on Medicare unless, uh, and it's still not a dependent thing. But you know, unless they have a. a a, a illness exacerbation of an illness or have to go to the hospital and then they receive the Medicare funds. But for the most part, um, 
those people are choosing to try cannabis. Um, I actually, we go into assisted living facilities and certify people, mm -hmm. um, especially if they have difficulty with mobility, uh, like a Parkinson's, well, I'm thinking of one patient in particular mm -hmm. with Parkinson's, um, and, and we went in and certified. So they are beginning to have those conversations and be more open to that in, in assisted living facilities. So, mm -hmm. and, and then maybe if we can get people on regimens at that stage before they go into, you know, cause a lot of people um, decline and end up in the memory care unit. So, you know, if the, if the facility is beginning to be open to the idea, maybe by the time that they're dependent on the facility for their medication, it could still be kept in their regimen for their for the good of them. Yeah, for the good of them, indeed. I mean, the glacial pace is so frustrating. Um, I mean, you saw with your grandma, I know it was sort of outside the bounds of what you would do now, mm -hmm. but you saw with your grandma, tremendous benefit. So the way it works is a little different here. And I, I mean, I, well, I guess it's kind of similar in, in uh, California, but our uh, dispensaries are all run by pharmacists. Mm. So we have a no. That's different. Yeah, yeah. We have a pharmaceutical model. So mm -hmm. we make we we refer someone and say that they are eligible for cannabis, but we don't necessarily make um, recommendations once they get their card. Mm -hmm. The pharmacist does that at oh, wow. at this juncture. So people come back to us. You know, we do make some general um, recommendations during mm -hmm. the visit, but. Our dispensary system is so. Bleh. <laughs> um, so the same guy that's have the a same. Lot to, to, a lot of work to do, really. <laughs> yeah, and they don't have a lot of options, so you never know what the dispensaries are going to have. So it would be really hard for us to make specific recommendations. Right. You just like general. So, like I would say, try a hybrid. Right. You know, do a CBD THC one to one. You know that kind of thing. I, I do make those general uh, recommendations, but the majority is done by the pharmacist in the dispensary based on the person's diagnosis and their medical history they share with them. And what they've got in their stash. What is, is it? Is it? Is it? Uh, is it the same guy that dispenses the Vicodin? Is that the same pharmacist, or is this a different special pharmacist that's been trained? No, nope, the same pharmacist. Same dude. But yeah. I, I will say that the, most of the pharmacists are also advocates and really believe in the Connecticut program. Um, and do they get special I'm, training? Are they required to get the kind of training you got with regards to the endocannabinoid system or anything oh, like no. that? Wow. No. No. Mm -mm. So they're just looking it up on Leafly and trying to figure out what to do. Wow. <laughs> well, and they're looking at the limited options that we that have, they have right. on our list and then making recommendations from there. Yeah. Do you have edibles in, uh, in Connecticut? Like uh, gummies? We just have or, edibles. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah. It's, everybody's, every state is a little different. You know, I mean, um, you know, it took a year for Florida to get smoked cannabis on their medical list. And New Jersey only has smoked cannabis. Right. Um, you know, and New York's system is, not, is you know, hellacious. Mm -hmm. um, our, you know, our system was basically going great until it got destroyed by Prop 64. Great for patients anyway, you know, and, and decriminalization. We had pretty much decriminalized it in California. Although um, we didn't have the breakdown of what was in it. Right. It would have been nice to have a little more regulation as far as like testing and things like that, but not 35% taxes. Yeah, I know. Now we test it like, like, like plutonium out here and we handle yeah. it like plutonium in California. You, know, <laughs> you can't put strawberries in edibles because the strawberries come back hot. 
because you can eat strawberries covered in pesticide in California, but you can't eat them if they're in the edible. (laughs) So it's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Every system is crazy. So I know that you have a background in hospice care, right? Um, So uh, have you found that cannabis benefits people in hospice? Absolutely. So um, a lot of people... I mean, who are on hospice care, end of life care, like their appetite goes, their energy level goes, their engagement, is they're not interested in engaging, they're depressed, they're scared, they're anxious. You know, there are so many things happening um, at the end of life that cannabis can touch almost all of them at the same time. And so to be able to not only offer that as a hospice, as a benefit, as an option, but to also be able to get it to them in time that they have quality of life is like of so much importance. But again, we run into the same issue that hospice is a Medicare benefit. Now, the thing is like by the time Medicare found out, (laughs) you know, it's probably going to be a non-issue, non-issue. However, you know, um, I am seeing more patients, you know, choosing to medicate with cannabis. Mm -hmm. And again, I haven't really seen anything where people were kicked off hospice for cannabis use. It usually is implemented um, in their regimen and it just gives them quality for their last, you know, they're, they're not, they're not smoking it. You know, we've heard the stories occasionally of security guards kicking out cancer patients for allegedly smoking and smelling it. You know, it's, we, you know, we found that with mom, you know, the drops are subtle. They're easy to administer by the family and Mm -hmm. um, you know, pretty much the staff is on board. Mm -hmm. Um, People are dying. I mean, really, you're trying to make people comfortable. Mm-hmm. I remember um, we did, we had a cancer patient who wanted to get her card. She was actively dying, was considering hospice at the time. Mm-hmm. They called Canna Health because they wanted to see if, you know, we could get her her card. Now, on average, it takes about 30, 30 to 45 days mm-hmm. to after you get certified to get your card. Has to be so, approved by the board, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, but we were able to expedite this woman's um certification her card and she got it within i want to say three or four days we just had to send to the state that she was a terminal patient and um she got it in three or four days and was able to medicate and and had a great a, a good transitional experience so for her and her family I hope they pass it around like in all this kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's it's life changing. When my mom was dying, I uh, was putting together a book of how cannabis helps dementia, all the studies from PubMed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I came across one that showed that CBD helps morphine work better in medical work. Uh, yes. I don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, they have a synergistic effect. That's it. That's the <laughs> medical word. Amazing. <laughs> so I put two drops between her gum and her uh, lip and I rubbed it in because she had a really bad death rattle. Like it was really bad. She died of aspiration pneumonia. So it was really bad. And uh, two drops though, turned that rattle into just like the ocean's roar, just slow, smooth, easy. So Mm -hmm. 
um, cannabis really does help. You mentioned Canna Health, which of course is your 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 company and your education platform and your uh, how do people your this is very special knowledge for people to know this you know to have practitioners around in their in their state. How can people get a hold of you? Tell us a little bit about Canna Health and do you do cross state um, you know consultation or you just stick to Connecticut? So right now we're only in Connecticut. Um, so Canna Health is a medical cannabis clinic, a set of medical cannabis clinics. We're here in Connecticut primarily now, um, but we are looking to move out of state, not just to care for patients, but to have brick and mortars or telehealth, who knows what 2021 will bring. Right. <laughs> um, but but we, are, we, we use a nursing model. So everyone who works for us is, is either an APRN or a registered nurse could do education, or we have CNAs and medical assistants as the receptionist and the uh, patient engagement people. Cool. Um, and, and we certify people with any of the qualifying conditions in Connecticut, um, but we also assess and diagnose people with PTSD. So that's the majority, what we see is probably the number one diagnosis is people are, are that people come in to get diagnosed with PTSD. Um, and it's a, it's a quick process. You know, they come in, they're seen, they can come back for more education. We provide education for the community um, and do a lot of outreach. We support a lot of uh, programs in Connecticut. Um, I volunteer on the juvenile review board um, here and and do a lot of give back to it to kind of like get people's attention to what is going on in the world, uh, specifically in the world of cannabis. Kiber Smith Bolden, thank you so much for being with us today. It's and a pleasure. we hope to chat with you again in the future, maybe when you have some more dementia patients. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm keep an eye out. Keep an eye out. Yeah. Let it it's end hard. Up. It's hard to break that stigma to get people to try it. And get yeah. it on the list. I mean, come on. Even in Texas, it's uh, it's on the list for CBD. You know, CBD. You yeah. know, for Alzheimer's. You know, so yeah, Alzheimer's is on the list. Yeah. So you know, we need to we need to break through these lists. They're ridiculous anyway. Uh, yes, but that's the game they want to play, and we yeah. have to we have to fight it and make sure they know that cannabis helps dementia. So thank you so much for joining yes. us. I can't wait to share this. And you're and you're um and I love what you're doing with the podcast. Thank you for educating us. Thanks for joining us for Cannabis Helps Dementia. Be sure to download, rate, and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcasting network. And please share this podcast with anyone you know in relationship with dementia. Do you want to tell your story of how cannabis helps dementia? Leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash cannabis helps dementia. Or you can drop us a note or connect with us on the socials. Check out the Society of Cannabis Clinicians website to find real medical professionals familiar with cannabis medicine in your area or online. Because you remember, we're not doctors, just family caregivers turned advocates. And don't forget, download, like, and share what you learned. Cannabis helps dementia. Why don't you get wise? Get up and get out. Get rid of that frown that's been dragging you down. And get up in the air. Just pretend that you can fly. You'll never know if you can till you try. So get out of your right. Be able and strong. Give vent to that intent you've had pent up for so long. Come on, come on up and see. Something that's real unique
something that's new 